Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With Renault, official car partner of the GAA, taking the passion of a nation to a whole new gear. A, a, a grain of rice, a, a grain of rice is going to tip the scale. Just remember that, then. There's a small bit of a needle there. Now, come on, Mayo, you've got to get Andy Moran into the game. Our mission was to show that we're no longer the whipping boys of Munster. Okay, welcome everybody to the newly sponsored GA Championship podcast. Uh, new sponsor is Renault, official car partner of the GA, taking the passion of a nation to a whole new gear. Renault are also the title sponsors of Renault GA World Games 2019, taking place in Waterford from the 28th of July to the August to August 1st, and the finals in Croke Park on August 2nd. With about 1,300 players from 10 regions all around the globe coming home to play on Irish soil, you've no excuse really not to make it down. You can find out more on the Renault.ie forward slash GAA, where you'll also get access to some special offers and exclusive deals to GAA members, so check it out now. Uh, joined in studio this time, we got uh, Cork star of, of a bygone era. We got Paddy Kelly. Uh, we got Dibbo, the great John Dibbley after coming down the road. Current Galway under-21 selector and in his own words, mastermind behind their success. And former Kerry All-Ireland winner and manager and All-Ireland winning manager, Amy Fitzmaurice, in the house to talk through the bones of what was another really good weekend of Gaelic football. Um, and heading into the Super 8s, which, which looked like it's going to be a bit of a festival of, of ball, which last year didn't pan out that way, but we're a little bit more hopeful this year. So I suppose with the Super 8s on the horizon, the only place to start really is with Leash's big win over... Dublin in the hurling. Um, strange one, but you know, it seemed that Delo isn't here. We say we might as well, we might as well get a small bit of it in. It's it's their first. It'll be their first quarter final appearance uh, in about forty years. I think nineteen seventy nine was the last time they was there. That's serious research. Larry Ryan is on sound, by the way. Um, and I suppose the reason, maybe Paddy, and we'll jump off with you. The reason, <laughs> the reason I wanted to look at it was just the idea of. And I'm always intrigued by the notion of the Dublin funding and the impact that the Dublin funding has had on, on the success of their senior football, their football team. And uh, I'm just wondering, like, where, where is this kind of success that they've been looking for in the hurling and, and why hasn't it come from that same amount of funding? Thanks for the grenade to start off yeah. there. Cheers. Um, well, I suppose it, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges because the starting point for the, you know, if you look back to the, the Blue Wave nearly a decade ago, the Dublin footballers were, were nearly at the top already. Um, whereas the hurlers were starting from a lower base. Granted, there's not as many competitive teams in hurling, but the Dubs probably were ranked eight, nine, or ten at that stage. They've they've pushed on. They've got a Leinster title. The clubs are performing well. Um, so, granted, they haven't achieved the same success or dominance as the their football counterparts. But you're you're comparing two different beasts there. I think you know the tradition and culture of football in Dublin is just far stronger. They've grown the hurling massively. I, I don't think you can compare you know all Ireland's because it's it's just a different different kettle of fish so um, look the, the funding issue is, is huge uh, it's it's something that should be addressed I think John Horton is, is dancing around it but uh, 
So jig he's doing around it now, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. So um, look, the, the the figures are there. It, it's fairly plain to see. It's it's not as if anyone's anti Dublin or anything. It's just they've become a, a beast that's unstoppable at the moment. So um, it's something that has to be looked at and addressed. And I'm sure it will with the the pressure that's mounting on them. But uh, fantastic. Um, you know, for Leash yesterday, fantastic when the excitement, even on the local radio commentary and stuff like that, it's it's great to see the Dubs will be sickened, like because after after a massive win against Galway a couple of weeks ago to to not perform yesterday, um, you know they'd, they'd have been looking forward to uh, crack off tip next week. So um, I'm dodge that bullet as much as you can. Yeah, no, it's, and, and again, it's not about bashing Dublin or the funding, and everybody I think recognises that there is a disparity in the funding and the game's development, and the sponsorship is another big issue. Obviously, that they're raking in such sponsorship, and and other counties maybe aren't feeding off that, and maybe it's time that there is a pooling of, of of those resources or whatever. But I just think, like their their whole you know the strategy and that blue wave document that they brought out in 2011. And it was very aspirational that they were going to win one hurling all Ireland every five years was their was their kind of goal, and and from that point of view, I just think that while their funding has led to such success in the football you know side of things, and obviously I take your point that they were further along the line in terms of the football than they were at the hurling, and they have won the last two club all Irelands, they've won a Leinster, they've beaten Galway, they've you know done well in the National League. It's still in terms of their own strategy and, and the funding that they've drawn down specifically for that strategy. They've still failed to meet the targets that they set out themselves, Devo, in, in, in that blue wave thing in terms of hurling. Yeah, possibly. But I, I still think they're they're playing very, very well, Dublin, in hurling. And the last few years, particularly since Dalo went in, he's driven them on to a new level and Jericonian brought them on and Matty Kinney's done a great job with them. I, I think while Leash played fantastically well yesterday and thoroughly deserved on the day, Maddie Kenny will be waking up this morning wondering, you know, did we leave that behind us? Because they have a really good team as well, Dublin. And I felt Dublin were very unlucky last year um, that they didn't make the, the knockout stages. They played very well against Kilkenny and, and Wexford. So um, Paddy's right. You just can't compare it. It's, it's, different. it's a different ball game. And, um, you know, I think massive credits should be going here to Leach Hurland and to Eddie Brennan and Niall Corcoran. You know, Eddie's... Uh, just saying to the lads earlier, like he's a fantastic footballer himself, and he managed a trench cup winning team in, in um, for the Garda College as well. So you know, and Niall Corker, a former Galway hurler, so you know, he would have known Dub, um, the Dublin team very well, Niall Corker, um, because he still plays with Kilmacud Crokes. Mm-hmm. So you see, I think Leash just had their homework done. They had an opportunity that you know nothing, you know nothing went wrong for them yesterday. They got every score. So you know, rather than keep bashing Dublin about this and that I just think Leash had a fantastic win and uh, you know best of luck to them next weekend yeah I see you're all back to this bashing I'm not talking about bashing Dublin I'm talking about and and it's the second side of that thing is I think there's too much made of this Dublin in terms in, in terms of the funding and Dublin's success on a football pitch um, obviously it's, it plays a big role I mean like the, the funding in terms of the grassroots stuff and I think that's I, I think we just muddy the water a lot between the funding that they re- receive from a games development point of view and and where that goes in terms of the coaches on the ground working in primary schools and club stuff and obviously that raises all boats but I, I'm, I'm just I'd like I, I don't like the 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 muddying of that issue whereby the funding is what is really making this Dublin team such a, a football team such an untouchable object at the moment or have been the last couple of years Fitzy um, yeah look I think it is uh, it is an, inter- an interesting question alright I think with the hurling thing I think what Paddy said there about 
the the cultural thing you're just looking at it even if you look at the likes of Kieran Kilkenny he was an excellent hurler as well but he's fully dedicated himself to the Dublin footballers Conor unfortunately Conor Callan's another fella and there's there's plenty more than besides they were excellent underage hurlers but when it came to the crunch and they had to prioritise one game it was football they went for so until there's um, a kind of a 50-50 divide there where you fellas committing uh, to as as many committing to the hurling as they're committing to the football, I think the footballers are all, always going to be ahead. And I just think with the look with the footballers at the moment, of course, the uh, my point always would be that the rest of us have to try and get to their level in terms of the way that they're running the thing. They have advantages. They have advantages in terms of the funding. They have advantages in terms of the population, which is attractive to us sponsors. And because of that, they've taken that to another level over the last couple of years. But to me, it always comes down to it's the people, uh, it's the players, it's the management, it's the John Costellos that are behind it. Uh, they're doing an awful lot right. And... Um, uh, of course, there is that debate about the funding and the amount of funding that they have got and so on and so forth. But even looking back at the four in a row that they've won, uh, except last year where they were comfortable, really, all the other years they were put to the pin of their yeah. collar a couple of times. And but for the way that they were managed and prepared and but for the exceptional players that they have, they wouldn't have won those All-Irelands and yeah. we wouldn't be having the discussion. Yeah, and I think that's the key point. that I, I, like The funding is obviously gives you, gives you a, a leg up, but they still have the players and, and the quality people involved that, that have pushed them into the position that they're in, obviously. you know. Uh, I suppose to get back into our own lane, lads, because we were... Dalo is probably crying listening to now about hurling, us talking about hurling. But, um, you know, the big one of the weekend, I suppose, from, well, you know, there was a couple of big ones, but Galway Mayo, obviously, you know, on TV, real cutthroat, knockout championship action. They were, you know, loser go home, winner moves on, big prize at stake to getting into the Super 8s and obviously setting up a big game below Fitzgerald Stadium next, uh, next, next Sunday at four, uh, Galway and Mayo. You know, what were your kind of big takeaways out of, the, out of that one? Um, just that Mayo on the night were tactically just a little bit better set up, I think, than Galway. Um, you know, you have to factor in that every time Galway play Mayo, no more than Cork Kerry, they usually are 50-50 games and they are very hard to call going into them. And this game was no different. And, you know, Mayo had to be sick of losing to Galway for the last number of years. That They really had to be. And um, they, they, they changed though slightly for me. Colin Boyle like set very very deep, um, and Aidan O'Shea as soon as Galway had the ball went deeper with them, yeah. and they they offered a lot of protection to their full back line. And I mean Higgins, Harrison, Barrett, fantastic footballers um, have been for a long time, but you know maybe age is creeping up a little bit in them. Um, maybe Mayo recognised that they needed to protect that area, uh, and they did and did it well. It's it snuffed the Galway full forward line out completely. But it opened up the opportunities then for um, for Peter Cook and Killy McDay then to come in and you know kick the points. So it, w- it was a breakaway from um, what we'd seen from Mayo before, and Mayo learned not to run the ball straight down the middle of the Galway defence where before Galway just had so many numbers and stripped them and, and went on the counter. Mayo kept it wide, went down the flanks, played good first touch football a lot of the time when they could and they were just really hungry you know and, and they didn't make the Super 8s last year and I'd say that was the key that was the key motivational factor mm. they just wanted to make the Super 8s because let's be honest this is where it all starts from here on in yeah and I mean 
Fitzy, if you were looking at like James Horn, obviously stepped out of the Sky Sports studio and back onto the sideline, which is which is a really like it was a brave thing to do for Horn, to be honest, because obviously it's it's nice and comfortable and you know it's it's handy up here when you're talking and you have all the answers. But when you're on that sideline and and you know you're looking at something that you've prepared for for a couple of months, go completely pear shaped. Uh, it's 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 not a very nice place to be, and it's much easier to be standing on the sideline or, or on a you know in a in a, a studio or writing in a paper, and you have all the you know all the solutions. But like for Horn to go back in there, he obviously saw it was a project that that was capable of uh, he was improving again, having not made the super eights. But kind of what what is it you've seen kind of from his influence coming back after? you know, into that mix that, that he's brought to the whole thing again. Yeah, look, like you said, I think it is a brave manoeuvre to go back in, um, whatever about leaving the comfort of the studio, to go at it, but to, to go back is always a big question in its own regard. And uh, to be fair, I think when you've been on both sides of the fence, if you have the time and energy for it, there's only one place to be, and that's on the sideline, shaping the conversation rather than talking about it. Uh, but, you know, if you're in a situation where you can look on and give the advice from the ditches or whatever, uh, that's that's a comfortable place to be. Um, I think he wouldn't have gone back unless he believed that they could win the All-Ireland. There was no other reason for him to go back because they'd been so close um, you know, during his reign and he, he really did change that Mayo team and he made them into uh, contenders that, you know, should have uh, won an All-Ireland at some stage during his reign, but it didn't happen. So he's gone back to win an All-Ireland. Um, I I gave Armagh a good chance of causing an upset yeah. that weekend. I gave Galway a good chance this, week, uh, this weekend gone by. And uh, I have to say, I've been am- amazed again with Mayo's resilience. Come, come, uh, considering all of the um, blocks and roadblocks that have been put in their way again this time with injuries and every kind of a thing going against them, but uh, they were defiant again on Saturday evening. And I thought when you talk about James Horn, I thought it was interesting and noticeable right at the end of the game. Uh, I was watching it on TV, I wasn't there, but that he started getting after his players to get in straight away. His mind had flipped straight away to Killarney and he knew that the Mayo supporters, because they're so passionate, were going to invade the pitch as they did and the usual photographs and autographs and everything. He wanted to minimise that straight away. He wanted his players in, into the dressing room, and he was thinking straight away uh, of Kerry in Killarney, uh, which is obviously a huge game for both teams. And I just thought it was interesting. And it was someone with experience that obviously was a big win for Mayo at the weekend to beat Galway and get into the Super 8s. But straight away he was thinking of Killarney and he wanted his players on the same uh, on the, the same one. page. Yeah, for sure. And Paddy, like I, I, I'm looking at... I suppose if you were looking all the way down the line at Mayo lads in the last number of years, you'd be saying their backs, their athleticism, their midfield, everything is everything is pushing them towards like an All Ireland. But they've probably been like that forward or two short when it when it's come to the crunch. They haven't had guys to to get the scores when it really matters in big games. And I'm looking at Horn now and the guys that he's after bringing in. You know, Killian O'Connor, obviously, we know what he's doing, even though he looks, geez, he looks like a greyhound. He was so lean and in, in Limerick on, on Saturday night. I went up to the game and the, the atmosphere was just electric as every time that, that they play. But like Darren Cohn, I, I, I mentioned Connor Cox has obviously been the find of the season with the football he's playing in Roscommon. 
But like Darren Cohn for me is a guy that's right up there with him as as a massive player for Mayo and and in the general context of of the football. Phil McDonough, Doherty, McLaughlin, James Carr's goal, like the pace, the power. Like how many times would Mayo guys get in that position and then balloon the ball over the bar, balloon it wide, but he still had the composure to finish and and get a goal. I I just think they're forwards under Horn now look a lot more accomplished than maybe they were in the last five, ten years. Yeah, certainly. Like I lost an All Ireland final to Mayo in 2006, and the, the vast book of that team, like the Shamie Shea and Keegan, have backboned them for the last 10, 15 years. And you kind of be questioning, surely the you know the legs are gone, the injuries are are, packed, are mounting up. But again, phenomenal at the at the weekend to, to come again. It always felt as though Mayo lacked uh, another inside forward to go. With Andy Moore and yeah. Kieran O'Connor came and seemed as well, but. It, it felt as though they were they were too easily kind of quietened. You know, other teams had the marquee inside forwards to, to get them over the line. Um, whether Cohen is the answer or not, it's, it's too early to say yet. I mean, there'll be big tests ahead, but you'd have nothing but respect for, for Mayo, how they keep going back to the well and, and just the doggedness of them is, is unreal. Um, they're just they're just a phenomenal team. Uh, you, you'd admire them from, from 1 to 15. Um, they'll be very, very interesting going down to, to Clarny now. I mean, after two weekends in the trot they'll be fairly tired bodies but that'll be a huge huge occasion um, I give them every chance to go down there and rattle carry um, their physicality is, is just a joy to watch They're, they just play on the edge they, they just, just go for the game Mayo games are, n- are never ever boring um, so that's that's why they you know the, the neutrals want them to want to want them to yeah. succeed. So, um, whether whether they're capable now of going three games in the Super Eights, semi final and final, it's a tall tall order. But it's it's great to see them back at it. What you like? Uh, even Paddy Durkin. I was looking at Paddy Durkin the last day and the job he did on Shane Welsh. Like Shane Welsh is a really 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 top foot. You know he's a super forward and a balance and a movement of two feet. Durkin just blotted them out of the game altogether, you know, and, and they have, like, they've always had those guys, and Colin Boyle, there's less pressure on him, he's sitting back in front of everybody, Lee Keegan only came on with a couple of minutes to go, you know, and I, I just think they're they're really, like, three games ago, like Fitzy, I would have said, I gave Armagh a massive shot of winning that game, uh, I gave Galway less of a chance, and, and now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, they may actually come out of the Super 8 group, you know, with the way that they're playing at the moment, they're just on such a, an upward curve. Yeah, well, I mean, James Horton used the National League very, very well. I mean, he played almost 30 players and, and he kept giving them game time and game time and the young lads and the young forwards, he kept giving them game time uh, and he had an eye in the championship and that was just a smart, you know, managerial call. Um, the the interesting thing, even just even looking forward straight away to next weekend against Kerry is like there was a big lack of long kickouts at the weekend from both goalkeepers. Uh, Bernie Power, like it was like ping pong, you know, out to a, a back, straight back into him all the time. And like that was obviously a tactic because, you know, he looked for it straight away and yeah. the back gave it to him. Uh, even, you know, Clark on the other end, he didn't go that long. Now, both players, Galway were obviously missing Duggan and Conroy and Tom Flynn, so they didn't maybe have the same options. But I thought Mayo had a big advantage at the weekend. Uh, with O'Shea still involved there they didn't kick it out that that long so I'm looking now straight away like will Kerry force Mayo to kick it out where the likes of David Moore and Jack Barry should relish a challenge like that you know or will they allow Clark to get the small kick outs off and start the movement again so it's an interesting dynamic straight away um, and then will Kerry you know will they trust their midfield area to win their own 50-50 ball you know so that's a fascinating battle that I think um, will determine a lot of the game next week obviously Fitz will know more about the, the, the Kerry lads but for me the Mayo lads 
they've gone away from that midfield area where they've so been so dominant. Is it because there's no Tom Parsons, Shamey O'Shea? Maybe, but um, it's still a big risk for Mayo if they're going to continue with short kickouts. Yeah, and <clears throat> they've obviously Shamey Shea was back in the panel the last day. Lee Keegan came on. I, you know, I think they said after Matthew Ruan and, and Diarmuid O'Connor are expected back during the Super Eights. So, so they, eventually, whether it's the first game, second or third, they're, they're going to be playing with a full deck at, at some stage. And um, from Kerry's point of view, that's obviously going to be um, that's going to be a massive challenge when when they have as many bodies as they have now with the momentum and. Uh, and more joy sports that they have coming into that game, Fitzy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the kick-out thing will be intriguing next weekend. Um, we found it very hard against them in 2017 in the two semi-finals, particularly the first day. We did a lot of homework on their kick-outs, but he got a good few from the last evening into that five-side chipped kind of kick-outs, and he gets runners. A lot of the time, the runners are midfielders running out just you know picking it picking up handy ball and uh we did a lot of work getting ready for that and how to approach it in terms of our positioning in terms of tr- trying to be tight on the likes of tom parsons who picked up a lot of kickouts in that game in both games um but uh, look mayo are getting stronger there's no point saying otherwise for them to have come through the rocky patch and all the injuries that they had uh, I think, like John said, they they had used the league well. Uh, even when James Horn was being asked about the injuries and the lead into the Armagh game, the lead into the Galway game, he was saying, look, a lot of these lads have played during the league. They're only mad for road and they're only mad for action. And sometimes injuries like that, they actually force you into giving fellas a go rather than relying on the old reliables. Yeah. And oftentimes, as James Carr did the last evening, these fellas surprise you yeah. and they, they come and they do something and suddenly you're looking at them in a different light and saying, Jesus, if we can get him on ball going at a defence, not just a carry defence, yeah. any defence, he can cause problems. So, um, yeah, it's they're, they're definitely, after making themselves... Uh, a serious um, uh, consideration again for the for the rest of the championship. Yeah, and like that's where Darren Cohen came out. Really, I suppose Killian O'Connor's injury afforded him an opportunity, and and obviously he he took it with both hands. Um, I suppose just to, to move off that one and Paddy a little closer to home for you, like Cork's performance over Leash. I, I think they were always probably favourites going into the game, but it was a case of could they kind of sustain and maybe surpass the performance that they delivered against Kerry in a Munster final and. Jesus, 420. I was just looking at their scores. They're after scoring 10 goals, 1048 in the last three championship games. You know, against Limerick, obviously, against Kerry, and, and now against um, against Leash. And, you know, I'm not sure, obviously, you've a, you've a better take on it than me, but it, it just looks like they've really kind of energised themselves and found an attacking threat that's that's something that they was lacking all the way through the National League this year, last year, last year's championship. But whatever they're after doing, it's after clicking in there, they're after finding something. Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I travelled up to Turles the weekend confident enough that we, we'd beat Leash, um, but the manner of victory was, was surprising. They were corporate outstanding. For the opening half hour, it was it was close enough. It was nip and tuck. It was only a point, and I'd say after half an hour, Cork kicked the last five scores to, to, to lead by, or four scores to lead by five going in. It looked good at half time, and then straight off, second half, we blitzed them with a goal early. Hurley got a lovely goal. And then about 10 minutes later, second, second goal and it was game over. Um, Cork were really, really impressive. Um, even that opening half hour where it was, it was fairly even, Stevens, 
Cork were comfortable. Um, they, they looked as though they were well set up. Um, both sides of the pitch, were, they looked dangerous up top. Granted, now Leash, Leash are you know, probably a step below, which is probably galling again to think that Cork will go down to Division 3. You mentioned yeah. about the, the attacking threat, like from, from being at the, the home league games this year against Kildare and Mead in particular, we didn't even give it ourselves a chance. It felt, you know, after the, the couple of hidings last year against Kerry and Tyrone, I think. The, the approach this year was to let's let's be solid defensively, but it didn't work in the opening three or four games. We were one point after four games. There was definitely a change of tact there, and I mean when you're when you're when you've the players Cork have, if you go out and you press up and you, you're aggressive and you attack, you'll beat the teams at your level or, or, or below your level. That's what happened at the weekend. Cork were, were just better than Leash. Um, a lot of impressive parts to the the forward line. The two Haven boys inside Hardy and Collins were electric. Uh, they were very, very strong on midfield. Defensively, they coped well with with Donny Kingston. But again, you know, it's a huge, huge step. But at least we're back there, talking about Cork in a Super Eights game. Yeah, and it's and it's positive stuff. But this is probably what people were looking for from this Cork team that that they're not they're not as bad as they've looked in the last you know two years when they've been struggling to get results and performances. And like, you know, scoring four twenty. I don't care if it's Leash or, or who it is. Like, it's it's a it's a big achievement to score four twenty against anybody in intercounty football. The way the team's set up and and Leash don't leave themselves wide open like that. So, you know, it's just I, I'm 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 kind of amazed. Like when I was looking at the performance against Kerry, you're saying, you know, they had a bad start. You know, they they struggled early on, and you're saying this was a perfect scenario maybe for Cork to crumble here now and 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 fulfill that kind of prophecy that you know they're just rolling over again to carry but they didn't and they came back and they made a massive kind of stand of it and it just seems like you know they're going obviously in the right direction and and, and while Dublin are obviously the top of the tree now and maybe we're not saying that they're going to beat Dublin like they're going to score against some devil they're going to get goals and they're going to create chances where maybe other teams have, have struggled to make an impact yeah, absolutely and they're a running team and they're a team now playing with no fear um, and they don't care what anyone says outside about them. They, they believe in themselves and they believe in the management and, and they're going at it. And it's great to see. Um, I mean, in one way, they remind me a little bit of Galway before Kevin Welch took over. You know, everyone was talking bad about them. And then Kevin came in, circled the wagons and just he, he got football you know, he got the best out of that group and um, Cork are a bit like the same. Like, everyone was given out about them. McCarthy went in and just said, right, this is what we need to do. Um, they've had bumps along the way, but they've been intelligent enough to, to change it and they're just going to go for it now. Paddy says Dublin's a different animal, but, I mean, if you were a Cork player waking up this morning, you would absolutely love to be going up to oh, Crow yeah. Park at the weekend Feeling and say, right, let's go at this. Regardless of the result, they're out again the following weekend. Regardless of that, they're out again. So, you know, they'll have a pep in their step. And at the end of the year, you know, they'll use all these good experiences to get try and get out, move up a division again next year. So it's huge for Cork. But, I mean, they're back where where everyone around the country knew they could be, you know. And um, it's, that's what we want as, as, as football people. We want to see you know, the traditional teams fighting, but they have to make it happen themselves. You know, nobody could do it, only the Cork players and management, and thankfully now they've given themselves a chance to show everyone what they can do. And like, Paddy, you, you said about a, like a change tack, like what, 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 like what is, the, what, what was after changing tack so dramatically in terms, of, is it a structural thing? Is it personnel or, like where, they were so poor in the league, like Division 3 football for Cork is, it's just so below where they, where they should be for the, for the level of players that are still in the county and the number of players and all of that. But what is it that actually just kind of, what, what switch just flicked that, that now they're, now we're talking about that they're actually going to play Dublin and it's going to be something respectable, that it's not going to be 
well, I don't think it's going to be like a 20-point hiding or anything like this. That this is this is actually a game that Cork will be in around the handicap, we'll say, in terms of maybe six, eight points or something like that, which is a huge step forward in the, in the course of two or three months. Yeah, well, I think understandably after getting hammered by Kerry and Tyrone last year, you know, Ronan came this year saying, look, we have to start the defence. And they, against Kildare in particular, it was a double-header below in the park. Cork were unbelievably defensive. Mark Collins and Tomas Clancy, I remember the two of them starting wing forward. Every time a ball came into play, the two boys just turned and ran. And this is Mark Collins who scored 1-8 or something yesterday. And his job was the donkey work. He was just dropping back and sweeping. We literally just didn't give ourselves a chance. We had two up top and we tried to run it. And again, it was winter was heavy going. Kildare just got over the line. Similarly against Mead, it was Paul Kerrigan was brought back and, and swept the whole time. So you could see what they were doing. It was very understandable to try and keep it tight. But just... Because results didn't go their way, it was literally one point. I'd say for Man away, they lost to Clare then. I think after that, I think there was a bit of a, a discussion and they said, look, this isn't working. This isn't our natural you know, game. They changed it completely. They're playing forwards in the forward line who are attacking. Um, just small things like the, the attention to detail. Yesterday, I thought like Brody's a fantastic keeper. Yeah. Straight away, the, the six leech backs came in together into the huddle plus a wing forward came in. So they had seven men pulled in there and Cork straight away were man-to-man grappling with their man. Um, it's not something I do you know you consider you go zone on that as, which would be interesting to see at the weekend against Cluxton but they went man for man and I'd say none of the seven of those lads left their man get a short kick out okay. and outside further out Maguire, Kilnohanlon and a couple of half backs were alert they were they were pressing similar to maybe what Kerry would have done in the past ahead of the ahead of the play and they won some amount of ball off, off his kick outs and it just meant that there was savage pressure on Leash the whole game Cork on the other hand their kick outs were simple they went long because they've got big targets Leash gave up a few short ones. Cork took that handy, but it was just a simple game plan. Um, Sean White drops from centre forward to around the half back. He's a good footballer, good energy, um, and they mixed the play. Like Cork would be seen as a running team, but they actually did kick a lot of ball in. Again, there's the caveat that Leash were, were were poor to be fair, and they left themselves exposed two on two inside. But it was just very very impressive from Cork. They ticked all the boxes. Um, I can't imagine they'll change much for Dublin. Yeah. Things might not go so well against Dublin. They won't be, you know, the 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 athleticism of Dublin will be, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system, I'd say, for some core players. But still, they're going the right way. Um, it's huge for whatever happens after this. Now, it's, it's, it's a bonus massive, stuff. Massive like, view, yeah. yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Obviously, Tyrone, you know, Tyrone got over Cavan. Cavan didn't make any kind of a shape really, Fitzy, and Meath obviously got over over Clare with another kind of like I was scrappy. It was one point game. You'd imagine Meath will probably be, you know. They'll be the Roscommon of the Super 8s and, and they'll they'll probably struggle to pick up a whole pile out of it. Out of, out of those two, you know, is there is there any big big thing between the two of those, I suppose, particularly Tyrone, obviously, are in they're back after finding themselves, I suppose, struggling after getting knocked out of Ulster. You know, they're probably back in the conversation now as the top, you know, two or three teams in the country again. Most definitely. I think the thing about the the Donegal game was that um I think I made the point on Saturday that they stayed very loyal to their new way of playing and that they had committed so much um, maybe time and effort training-wise into getting that more kicking game going and it had given them a new dimension that they didn't alter during the course of the Donegal game then. Whereas then for the qualifiers, they went back to basics and they've got that side of the pitch right again. And there was a bit of a mix there for the Cavan game, even for their goal late on, that there was a direct ball kicked in that they won inside and got a goal off. So I think they look very good. They look very dangerous. Um, I think they'll have learned a lot from last year. Um, if they can get that uh, kicking game married to their defensive game, married to running a counter-attack game, 
with the players that they have because they have plenty of talented players they have plenty of depth in their squad they have a good bit of experience having gone all the way to the All-Ireland final last year um, I definitely think that they, they they can be part of the conversation Um I was surprised today against Donegal that they didn't adjust for the Donegal kick out in particular that yeah. they were all getting sucked into the middle and letting the space wide for Patton to kick into that he's they didn't kicker, go- isn't he, he's a great Patton? kicker yeah. in fairness to him he's a great kicker but they didn't I thought that they might have gone a bit zonal wide just to make it some bit harder for them and they didn't adjust at all which was surprising for them because they are usually so tactically aware uh, so I think as usual they've learned plenty from the qualifiers and uh, I think their game against Dublin in the Super 8s will be very interesting it's yeah. on a, that's in Oma as well isn't it? It is yeah. Yeah. yeah so that'll be that'll be a big game and uh, uh, you know like look we're all kind of almost subconsciously handing Dublin Sam Maguire at the moment I don't see it like that and I don't think they're going as well and I don't think you can flick a switch and uh, of course they're at a different level and we we all understand that and from the last couple of years I've always been hoping that there was that chink of light there but I've definitely seen a chink this year more so than any other year I just the way they approach the league I think a lot of commentary has been that they did that on purpose they didn't there's no way that's not the way they work that's not the way Jim Gavin works he would have wanted to win every game and win the league and do what they've done for the last uh, five years and all of the years he's been in charge so um, I think it's going to be interesting I think Cork will test their pulse this weekend they're coming in uh, with a bit of momentum from their win and a game under the belt Dublin are coming in cold and I think that game against Tyrone in Oma as well will be will be very interesting give me when you say Cork are going to test their pulse and I think I, I think you're right but give me give me the spread on that what, what do we what do we think is 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 Cork testing their pulse this weekend um, next weekend obviously. I I think look a lot is going to come down to the kickouts uh, Paddy mentioned there about the athleticism of Dublin where you feel the athleticism of Dublin is when they're winning their kick out uncontested and they're on the move and they're rolling and it's so orchestrated. We all know what's going to happen, but it's so hard to deal with and you're going the opposite direction. If they can get any bit of a handle at all on the Cluxton kick out and make it some, ba- some way difficult for him and secure their own kick out, they'll test them then. They really yeah. will test them. Uh, look, of course, we still I still think that Dublin are going to win the game, but I just think that... The Cork team, and Paddy was talking about the Cork team, a thing that I found interesting about the Cork team when we looking at it after the Munster final, in Kerry we're doing a lot of talking about, oh, we've a young team and we're coming with a young team and we've had minor success. That Cork team is very young as well. Mm-hmm. They have a couple of uh, veteran players, but I, when I was looking at the way they did the Munster final programme, it mentioned the year that each player made his championship debut for both teams. And there was a load of that Cork team that were 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. So they're a young and coming team as well. And a lot of them won't have the baggage maybe of uh, the last couple of years. And, you know, when you have that devil may care attitude going up to Crow Park, you can be a dangerous proposition. So um, I think it's going to be interesting. Still Dublin to win, but I don't see it being a blowout. We didn't get a spread there, did we? We didn't get a spread? I don't like spreads. I don't like spreads. And, you know, obviously going into these games uh, next weekend, you're you're looking at some, like, really kind of mouth-watering kind of fixtures coming up. But 
something that's kind of a bugbear of mine, I've been, and it was so obvious when you watched the games on TV again last weekend, is is how how bad Gaelic football has gone in the last ten minutes of these big championship games. Now, when one team when one team is protecting a lead against somebody who's maybe two or three points down, and and, and the clock is is ticking into the red numbers. Like it's carnage, it's carnage in the last 10 minutes of games where, where we don't have the rules in place to actually be able to punish a team properly for, for those kind of indiscretions. Any, pull any rabbits out of your hat. How, how, we, how are you going to fix that kind of, uh, that situation, John? In, in, uh, see, I, see, I gave him the last grenade, I'll give you this one. How are you going to fix that one? Because you look like a guy now who has got a lot of these good ideas, so go with it. Fix it for win. Fix for it, now? No, fix it for... It's obviously, it's going to be something that'll have to be legislated for for next year or something, okay. you know? Do you, not have the, do you not have John Horne's number in your pocket, no? No, sir, I do not. Okay. Um, it's, it's obviously rule changes, and, you know, Mickey Hart was very irate after PD Hart's couple of black cards so far this year, and, you know, he said he's going to play next weekend, and, you know, I'm interested to see, will Peter Hart play next yeah. weekend, and how... How a man who can pick up a few black cards can suddenly get them all rescinded. I know you can't appeal until you get the third one, yeah. but but he's right in a way, Mickey Hart. Um, the black cards are, you know, they're a joke. A lot of them, and um, it's just ru- little rule changes. Like we saw a few rule changes this year. How they worked, you know, during the league. You know, the mark, uh, the sin bin. You know, some of them were very, very good. We spoke outside about the the, the clock. Like it, it just has to come in for 2020. They must take that pressure away from the referee that might just to help him a little bit more but um, I don't know I mean it's just too easy for a referee to go for a black card anymore and um, you know or this double yellow you know the, the double, double yellow, yellow at the end of the game and you're punishing nobody yeah. but you know um, but, but I mean like if a team is down by two or three points um, and the opposition are holding the ball I mean you just have to go and get it back off them but what's happening is the teams are sitting back you know, and they're not brave enough to go up and challenge and, and actually get a hand on a guy's shoulder or chest. You know, it's just lack of tackling. And I mean, if you overturn and you get a score, suddenly you have another kick out to go and try and win and you might peel it back and peel it back. So um, there's no there's no easy, you know, easy answer to your question, only that if a team is losing by two or three points, they've got to go and win the ball back, Mike, or don't yeah. be in that position yeah. in the first place. I definitely won't be ringing John Horn with that anyway. That's, that's not going to solve don't, our don't problem. Be, don't be afraid <laughs> don't, of him. Go don't tackle and get the ball back, yeah. No. But like, Paddy, I, I'm saying like the, the real scenario I'm talking about is we're up three points, uh, you're after winning the kick out, and I jump on top of your back and I pull you down because there's two minutes left on the clock. Uh, and, and, and the referee comes over, takes my name, gives me a black card. We burn up 30 seconds of time. I go off. We bring on a substitute. And before you know it, we're a minute into injury time and they've got two subs left. Like, I've, I've you know, the Aussie rules one, the 50-meter penalty, uh, where you, you advance the ball immediately for one of those fouls, 50 meters, and you're basically turning it into a scoring opportunity. Or, or go mad and turn it straight to a 21-yard free in front of the post. That if you're, if you're the one that's committing that cynical foul, that really deliberate drag down, where I have no interest in trying to get the ball, I just want to stop you from advancing, then we punish you on the score. You, you get the first one. The first one's a free one. We get to, you, know, you stay on the pitch. The next one, whoever it is, just, just you get off the pitch and you can't be replaced. If you did that for a year... 
with 10 minutes to go and Fitzy's smiling. He's, he's, he's like, yeah. You're asking the question, uh, but you're giving the answers. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought he was going to come with the, I thought he was going to come back with the 50 meter penalty idea. Yeah. I, I'm starting to think this is the pure Kerry boys and Oxford campaign. Oh, uh, it might have been. I'm not geez. sure it was in the last couple of weeks, but are you looking ahead to next Sunday's uh, battle in Fitzgerald no, Stadium perhaps? No, I mean, there was games. I don't know what games. Every game no, I thought I, it was I the same. And, you know, I, I came home from the, from Thurla Saturday and got the last 15 minutes of the Mayo Golf game. And I saw yesterday's um, Claire Mead game. Me were up by a couple of points. Same thing, and it's the same thing. Looking, we're all guilty, but we do it at club level the same. You're right, though. It, it has something has to happen because it, as soon as you're up by three or four points, and you know it's a, a goal is all that can save the team, you're just going to haul them down every yeah. every time. And you're right, something has to change because the black card is is, is good for your early on in the game because your your own personal you don't want to you know you should take one for the team, but you don't want to sure. be on that early. But late on in the game, you know everyone's willing to be the hero to pull a fella down, slow it down, drag him. Um, something has to change like as you said a couple of fouls you get away with it maybe a tap over free after the third one is a penalty something something drastic like that yeah. I know that's that's going that's going to the extremes but the, the whole thing I, I don't remember who it was but the, the two yellow cards um, just Burke. Ian Burke yeah just I mean a back comes on and just, just starts wrestling forward and the easy out is two yellows like that's where we've got to get either two refs or our umpires and linesmen becoming more active um, because look it's just it's just a it's a stain on the game and it's, it's, it's only getting worse because at inter-county level you will do no, no matter what what it takes you will do it Absolutely, and it's get off, to win. off the ball as cynical as you want and it's, it's, it's not just the, be- the best teams the best teams are, are always pushing it but every team will do it um, and look it takes rule changes to, to stop this yeah and, and like we were ta- like Kerry were, Kerry had no, have no problem doing the same thing and it's not about like every every team is doing the same thing when you're in a position where, where you're winning the game and, and the clock is, is ticking away um, but I, I still think you know when you're in it that's fine and it's great but when you're removed from it now and you're saying we can make this better in the last 10 minutes where we're actually rewarding the team that are the ones being adventurous and trying to go and get a score or try and get something um, and, and like from the outside now Fitzy obviously it would have been different when you were in the mix but like looking at games now in the last 10 minutes and injury time and, and the amount of stoppages and we spoke about referees outside like what what you know, is there suggestions or anything that we can do there from from somebody who's very recently gone from that managerial side of it? Yeah, well, I think, like you said, it's all stacked in favour of the team that are winning because the the point is obviously you're stopping the play, you're slowing it down. But the other thing that's probably the result of the whole thing is how frustrating that is for the team behind. Right. That even if you get the ball back you're so frustrated that you're not making the best decisions. And again, that's where Dublin are at a different level, that they're outstanding in those real tight situations at doing the right thing nearly all the time. And not necessarily the same player. Whatever player happens to be in the position makes uh, makes the right decision. Um, like I mentioned about the head injury rule there, last weekend being exploited at times and uh, I was uh, it went down well but I suppose in fairness the way I wrote it it wasn't that clear what I meant and again when we're talking about rule changes maybe that's something that uh, can be changed and when you're at the top level Paddy's right you push everything everything everyone to get over the line and you don't apologise for it and uh, was I the same when I was in charge of Kerry of course I was and I wouldn't apologise for it and I'd never try to pretend that I was whiter than white Um, but I think with the head injury rule where it came from originally was teams were excellent in late in games how do you stop the clock you fake an injury any injury you could have a sore big toe and you could fake this uh, and the game had to be stopped for it so the next progression then was 
only a head injury can can stop the game. So teams exploit that now. Of course, a head injury rule is very important and it's there to protect players that if there is a collision, as happened with Aidan O'Shea and Killian O'Connor in 2014, the Gaelic rounds, it's there for that kind of a scenario. But when a team is ahead and every two minutes a different player is getting a head injury but never leaving the field, that's a different thing then. So I would say to refer to that specific one, scenes that I I opened, that kind of worms myself, I would say that if you get a head injury uh, and you need to be assessed, you're assessed off the pitch and the game goes on and you can only come back on when the next play, similar to the black cards, that you can only come on when the game stops. Straight, Straight away, that cuts it out because you're not going to leave your team short. You're not going to go off because that gives an advantage to the other team, obviously. So I think with little tweaks... Uh, we we can think about it, but um, I think that the authorities need help in that scenario. That they need people that are actually playing the game and know yeah. the kind of level of um, toss that goes into that. Yeah. That the, if they can get people involved, then that can help the the rule the rule making and uh, the administrators then as well. That'd be a good committee for you to be on. No, no thanks. Something. No, I'm okay. Thank you very much. Definitely not. Something. Yeah. Definitely not. But you were talking about that. you were talking about the the timing issue though, and 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 that that whole thing about you know injury time and stoppages and like Fitzy's talking about you know like how much how much injury time we're actually putting up on the board and then how much injury time should actually be played and you were just talking about two referees and and the impact that that might be able to have on the game. Yeah, um, I, I think it's something. That seriously needs to be looked at, and you know, as soon as possible. But that could take obviously two years for it to be even brought in. But you know, as we said outside, it's not something two referees can't be brought in for league games or, or club level. This is just at the top level for championship where you could trial it, um, even in the provincial championships if you wanted. And a referee takes either side of the of the pitch, and just as the ball crosses, you know, it's pretty simple to do. They're mic'd up, anyways. Uh, but even now, I mean. For next year's league, um, for next year's league, you know the, the clock can come in. I mean, the referee is mic'd up uh, to the to, to the TMO or, or to to the fourth official. Six minutes on the clock. If I call a stoppage and play, just stop the clock. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all he has to do. The referee doesn't have to more clock on, clock off. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty pretty simple stuff here, um, and I think we just need not to be afraid to put it in play because it is highly unfair on a referee um, and I mean as we said outside like like if you're a referee this morning dropping your kids to a summer camp and you know randomers are coming up or even people you know and giving out to you because you didn't play 30 seconds more a minute like that's that's very very hard and that's unfair because he's only doing his job the way he saw it so we need to help these guys because we're not going to attract more referees into the game by keep lambasting them now some of them are making silly decisions like throwing black cards out willy-nilly, you know, and that needs to change. But, I mean, we've yet to see, you know, someone from the referees uh, board come out and say, this is the way we train referees. This is, this is what we look for in games, you know. Like, it's, it's a bugbear in mind even now that you go to a referee at half time and you just ask them, can I have clarification what my player did to deserve a black card or what's he doing wrong? They just bat you away, you know, like you're a fly. Like, they don't want to talk to you and engage with you. Now, if he engages, we have more respect for referees straight away. Players have more respect for referees straight away. And they will work with you, you know. But that's not happening at the moment, um, you know. 
there is an odd exception, maybe one or two referees will talk to players and managers um, during the game and halftime and maybe afterwards and give that little bit of feedback because, look, we don't want to talk to referees during the game. We just want to play the game, you know, um, and, you know, I, I saw Kevin this morning, Kevin Welch this morning, you know, and, and he was upset with a few decisions and, and he was rightly so, you know, but I mean, what can we do uh, as players? You just have to play the game as managers, coaches, you have to respect their decisions. But if they start giving us something back where we can see where they're coming from or the way they're being coached and educated with rules, then we might be able to say, yeah. well, hold on, guys, you cannot do this. The referee has told us this before the game in a huddle. Stop doing X, Y and Z. And I just think it'll make life easier for everybody, you know. And like, is there like, is there those kind of lines of communication for you like at, at, a, at that kind of senior level? Would you have had kind of you know, consultations with referees before games or, or before seasons or, or what way would that have worked? No, 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 it Nothing. isn't. It is like you can invite in a, a referee to have a chat. To, I remember when the black card came in initially, uh, Pat McEnany was the head of the refs that time and we invited him down. I'd say he went to a lot of, he went around to a lot, lot, of, of, the, yeah. lot of the counties at the time and he went through a presentation with us about the black card and that kind of thing. But in general, no, it doesn't happen. There isn't, those lines of communication aren't there. And uh, I'd agree with John. I think, yeah, <clears throat> the more communication and understanding and respect that's there, uh, the better for all concerned. Yeah, and like it's it's a horrible gig. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure how... You know, Paddy, you look like you could still be playing, man. You're in such good shape, but you'd be a good guy now to go out there and put on a black shirt and go referee a game and get up and down. Like, you're talking about young guys getting involved in committees, and it probably, do you know what? And obviously, I'm joking, but it, like, that's probably what it needs to guy Instead of giving out about the referees, which we all do at every level of the game, it needs a kind of an influx of young guys who, who understand the game and have played it at a high level and understand the, the, the stuff that goes on, skullduggery off the ball, to actually kind of really get a handle on, on the way the game is going. You're right, like, but I mean, it's, it, it'll require a culture shift because, I mean, I play a bit of soccer in the winter, like, and the abuse refs getting soccer is, is desperate. We're not much is better. Is it worse? Is it worse in, in, you know worse what, in GA or soccer? I think it's actually as bad in GA now, and I would say soccer was, was the bottom of the pile. Really? Obviously, rugby is the the target in terms of the respect they have like my f- and sorry and that's you're talking about culture now why, why is that like why is the rugby they call like I saw these guys you know the Sullivans Alan Sullivan lads below in in, uh, in the mall in, in, in Tralee these guys played rugby all their lives they played professional rugby and like these guys would eat you for breakfast and they're on the pitch talking and the referee gives a penalty against them and they're saying yes sir and walk away from the ball if that's if that's a National League game or a County League game there's fellas like giving this guy all manner of abuse but why why is that like you're talking about culture culture is a long thing to get to but where where is that coming from yeah I don't know I mean my father did a refereeing um, in Midcork in our division there for a number of years and I, 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 he caught me for line a few time, times and around 2010 we beat Dublin in the semi-final and I, I fill in a few nights later do line I won't say the teams now but the abuse he got now might have been warranted in terms of decisions and stuff but like and I was getting on the line as well and look we're every bit as bad we, we had a game a league game yesterday and you, you'd feel sorry for the ref um, you go down for an hour and you get absolutely slated you get abused I, I don't know how anyone would do it you're talking about young fellas going into to, to refereeing like it's a thankless job there's no financial reward there 
um, you've got to be very very thick skinned but in terms of culture thing being a primary school teacher I would do a bit of refing and I would be at finals and stuff and again the, the comments from, from the line from parents in the stand is disgraceful um, it really is epidemic and I, I think until we tackle it I, there was a couple of weeks ago in Cork there was a, a silent sideline thing or yeah. something I don't know was that nationwide but um, you know things like that just let your, you, you often hear the father roaring at his child go on take him on keep going just just like I don't know it's very wonder. it's very different I'm in, in, well sorry yeah not to be sexist but in, in Balancholic like I live in the rugby the rugby pitches in my, my estate like and again the difference is just just chalk and cheese in terms of the respect they have. I don't know how they got there. I don't know if it's a class thing or what from from old age, but like we've got to change it because you are not going to attract high quality referees into the game if that's yeah. the level of abuse they get. Because maybe maybe we'll make it better than to come to level with two referees, but it's it's certainly a stain on the game. And we're going down a rabbit hole here now, kind of unexpectedly, but that's, but I, I I do, and that sideline sideline things was a was an initiative they brought in a kind of under twelve level because that's the first level that at at, at club GA where competition kind of comes into it. The first, you know the sixes, eights, tens, it's all kind of go games and just participation, and then at under twelves they lose their mind because it's actually their first competitive level that an 11-year-old is going to play. So moms and dads, and there's plenty of moms who are as as vociferous as, as the dads on the sideline, are losing their mind with this 16-year-old in the middle of the field who gives a, a an overholding call against some kid. And, you know, and that's probably where it comes from. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Like, you're starting at that level and, and building its way up. But... Um, I don't know. You always had a good enough relationship with Spitzy with, uh, with referees, didn't you? Uh, yeah. I noticed that you weren't saying to myself and John to take up the refereeing there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I look. I, I I agree with Paddy. I think it is, but it's easy for us to sit there and talk about it. Then when you're inside in the middle of it, it's a passionate game. We're all so competitive, and when the standard of refereeing isn't at the level it should be. We get a bit carried away, but um, no, I always had a great ref- uh, relationship with referees, I must say. No, in fairness, I must say from the management perspective, and certainly when I was involved with Kerry, I tried, you know, my damnedest never to get involved with referees or linesmen. If um, if it happened five times over the six years, that would be the max of it because I just... I felt it was it was the wrong place for my headspace to be, but it was also the wrong thing to be doing. So I tried, Mike. Yeah, well, yeah, trying is half the battle, I suppose. Really, uh, we're going to wrap it up, Les, and, and I just want to thank the three lads for for coming up on their time. And and obviously, you can listen on iTunes and SoundCloud or IrishExaminer.com forward slash podcast. And again, as always, you can leave a rating or a review. And and if you're looking for the services of John Dively, Raymond Fitzmaurice, or Paddy Kelly to do some refereeing in your county. Don't be shy, give them a call and and they'll be down the road. Thanks very much. With Renault, passion for what drives you. Official car partner of the GAA. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.